John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. And I want to look this morning at, at verses 10 through 15. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10 through 15. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest, that is, they are made known. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was murdered with the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So, Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts concerning this passage. Lord, help us to self-examine. Lord, we also pray, too, Lord, that you would help us to walk in righteousness and in love. That we would take heed to that which you have written to us. And that which you desire to instruct us in this morning. We thank you, Lord, that your grace is enough not only to save us, but to enable us to walk in holiness and in righteousness, truth, and in love. We ask, Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Sometimes when I look at some of these passages, I want to, um, I want to uh, try to balance them with some of the psalms that talk about breaking the enemy's teeth, right? You, you've read those, haven't you? Um, if not, maybe you should read some of those and, 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 and wrestle with some of the things. And David wrote some of those, actually. David, the psalm that we read this morning, um, he wrote some of those about, about, you know, give my enemy his just due. And and so there's there's always this this sense of, of of struggle that I think we have, particularly in in this idea where Jesus came on the scene and 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 talked about loving each other, but he also talked about loving our enemies, which I'm really not too fond with a lot of times. You know, if we're going to be real honest, that's part of why they're they're my enemy. You know, and yet that that is a calling that we have as Christians. Particularly in that where Jesus, and, and I, I love to go to this verse, because God so loved the world. You know, I've had different explanations given to me or tried to be sold to me about what the world meant. And I've looked at it in the Greek. And God so loved the world literally means, to me, it means God so loved the world. Not just those who he picked and choose, not the elect. He loved the world. And so... Uh, we're, we're called to love the world, and, the, and at, at times it's very difficult. Um, we're, we're in difficult times, um, and I, 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 I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done it, and I'm not going to tell you what I, what I looked at, but I looked at Facebook this morning, and it was just like just everything's blowing up, you know. But then again, thank God is, well, how much of this is reality? How much of this is, is 
is is hype. Um, uh, you know, if there was ever a time I'm glad to live in Central Oregon, and I don't care how cold it gets this winter. All right, <laughs> at least we're, you know, at least we're here, and we're we're I, I think more in a uh, a safer area than some of these other places. And so, um, it, it's we're in a time of difficulty. We're in a call time to call to to live and to maintain a faithful presence and to let our light so shine before men that they might see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven, which means that we have to love people, which is not always an easy thing to do because it's hard to love the, the unlovable, is it not? Yes, it is. Can I, I got an amen. I should get a second round on that one. It is. It's hard to love the un- unlovable. Um, uh, and there's always the temptation that we want to really clean them up first, don't we? Right? Of course we do. Now, Jesus does that. And the reality is he, he cleans us up. And so once we are saved, we are cleaned up, but we are cleaned up positionally before him. But then there's this long ongoing, lifelong, I might add, sanctifying process where he starts to conform us into the image uh, of himself through the power of the Holy Spirit. And um, he, but why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he, he saves us when we were not really in a place that was really acceptable. But he, he saves us uh, when we really didn't have a whole lot to offer, and when we think about it, we really never have anything to offer to God, but it is by his grace that he, he uh, reproduces himself in us by conforming us into his image. And, and so we're called to love as he loves. That's a tall order. It's not it's so hard if you just surround yourself with lovely people, isn't it? But when you get around them, right, those people, right, you, you just thought of them, didn't you? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, but you don't know. Yes, I do know. You know I know, right? Um, I know the difficulties of some of the people that you deal with, and you know the difficulties of some of the people I deal with. And so we have to also understand what the context of love really means. You know, because you've you got to get out of this sugary, syrupy, sickeningly sweet concept of love. You know, it, it's, hopefully that's reserved for your spouse, you know, but um, love is an action word. Matter of fact, some of these words where it talks about love in this passage, they're not nouns, they're verbs, which talk about the things that we do. And, and we can love people in a very tangible manner. I'm, I, I'm not really the huggy, touchy, feely type. Some of you somewhat are, and, I don't, and that's fine. I'm okay with that, right? Be who you are, right? I'm good with that. But, but, but we love tangibly. We love in a way that, that we, at times, in this, this word agapeo, which is, is the Greek uh, word for love here uh, in the verbal form, which means that at times that we will love people even at our own expense, even at the expense of, uh, of a personal cost, whatever that might be. And so that, that's a diffi- difficult call, I think, at times, 
to love people. But what what we see in verse 10 is, is this is, uh, John is really kind of summing up what he really began in verse 28, 29 of chapter 2 and that we, we've been going back to for a couple weeks. And, and he's kind of summing it up by saying, this is how you know the children of God. This is how you know the children of the devil. First, whoever practice, and notice he says it in the negative, who does not practice righteousness is not of God who does, and who does not love his brother. We talked about righteousness Again, on Wednesday night, it's kind of interesting that, that, that we are in the book of Ephesians in that area where it's discussing righteousness, and we are here in First John where it's discussing righteousness. So that tells me that there are some things that the Lord desires to speak to us over and over again. And it's interesting to note, too, that the book of Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus, of course, and First John was probably written to John when he was where? In Ephesus. So it was also written to the church in Ephesus as well. And, and so um, this idea of, of, of a calling to walk in righteousness, this, it, and, and it's, it's not always an easy thing to do. Um, but it, it's this idea of, of having this attitude. Attitude is not the best word, though. This concept, this, this worldview this this sense of purpose that actually drives you that we that we are striving toward the wholeness of everyone and the goodness of everyone that's that's part of what what righteousness refers to it it does it can also be uh, translated as uh justice and and but it's it's this calling that we have to walk in a place that and to use a hebrew concept we are seeking the shalom or the peace of the city is what God told Jeremiah to tell them when they were they were just, they were, and this is funny. To, well, it's not funny, but it's also it, it's interesting to me, and also I think it's applicable even today. God told Jeremiah to tell his people to stop their whining, moaning, and groaning, and complaining, and seek the peace of the city. And what city is he referring to? It's not referring to Jerusalem. He's referring to Babylon. He's referring to Babylon. And he tells them, seek the, play of the peace of the city. Because, by the way, you are going into exile, whether you like it or not. You're going to be there for 70 years, which means some of you are never coming home until you die. And so what he was, and I think part of what we need to glean from, from the prophet Jeremiah, is this, this calling that, that we are to walk in righteousness and we are to seek the peace of the city regardless Which is very difficult, particularly today. It's very difficult. But what you have here is this distinction between children of God who walk in righteousness, and because they walk in righteousness, their primary action is what? Love. And then you have children of the devil who walk in evilness, and their primary action is what? Murder. Now, don't raise your hand, okay? But how many people have murdered someone here? I'm going to assume that nobody here has actually committed murder, all right? So does this then apply to us? And yes, I think it does. Um, because in the book of uh, uh, Matthew, chapter 5, right around verse 21,
Yeah, verse 21. So Jesus speaking here, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, he says, You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. So he's, he's referring to what? One of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka. Now, who goes around saying Raka today? Okay, I will ask for a show of hands. Okay, no, nobody does, all right? Translation, you moron. That's the translation. That's basically what it means in the Greek. Uh, I don't know why they didn't feel like they could print that. Matter of fact, I, be, I believe it's either the ESV or the, or the Christian Standard Bible who actually, that's how it's translated as, you moron. So, whoever says to his brother, moron, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. So, it, 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 it it, uh, it, it brings out this idea of murder is not something that we necessarily um, do when we take someone's life, but we can murder someone's reputation. We can even murder their character. Some of you have had your character murdered, and you're still dealing with Stuff that happened long, 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 long time ago where someone put to death part of you that God desires to resurrect. And, and so the evil person commits those type of acts. And who does John give us as an example of the evil person? None other than the first murderer, Cain. And he says about Cain... That, it says, well, verse 11, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that you should love one another, but not as Cain, who was a wicked one. We're going to get back to that word wicked one in a minute. Not as Cain, who was a wicked one, who murdered his brother, but why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. The children of God walk in righteousness and therefore they love. The children of the devil walk in evilness and therefore they commit all types of different forms of murder. And why did they do this? Because Cain was of the wicked one. I believe that's a reference to Satan. The wicked one is the Greek word paneros. And it said also here that, that Cain's... Um, Works were evil. By the way, it's the same Greek word, paneros, again. Wicked one, evil. Same Greek word here. Um, and, and what's interesting is I, I, was, I, I did some reading on this, this particular word, and, and one of the commentators talked about not only was this someone who, who um, revels in their own... I'm going to create... A, I'm going to invent a word. Can I invent a word? Revels in their own evilry. All right? Evilness, okay? I like evilry, though. I don't, don't ask me. It came into my head. But not only is this someone who revels in their own practice of evil, okay? But this is also a person um, who wants to drag everybody else into their corruption 
and into their destruction. Someone who wants to drag everyone into their own corruption. There's a phrase in AA that I can't repeat here, but it used to, when I was going to AA, that used to go around quite a bit. Well, you drag someone through your own nonsense. Okay, how's that? Okay. And, and, and uh, that's what the Poneros does. He's not just content to commit evil himself. He's got to get you involved in it too. Now, we have all kinds of words for people like that, but there are a lot of people that are involved in that, are they not? That they think that they they have a, among other things, and it bothers me, so I'm, hopefully I'm not venting here. Hopefully I'm just preaching. But you, you, you run across people who basically think that they can run, manage and run your life a whole lot better than you can. And they're always trying to convince you, and they're trying to convince you to, to do this or do that. I had it happen to me. Gosh, I shouldn't tell you the story, but I was with a group of pastors. Um, One was a former pastor, and this is on a Saturday, and we got together for lunch, and he wanted, and he had a few beers, actually, and he wanted to go out to another place and have a few more beers, and wanted me to go with him. And like, don't worry about your sermon. I was drinking water, by the way. Okay, but just so you know, okay, but. And I thought, wow, wow, you care that little about what we do? I would care that little about what we do here and to be able to feed you the word of God? So I got to go out and play with this guy? And he wanted to drag me into his stuff. You know, and and that is, that, doesn't that take you right back to the Garden of Eden? You know, Satan wasn't happy enough just to be the one who rebelled against God himself. He also took what? Third of angels with him. But then he goes and he sets his sight on humanity. But there are all kinds of people that think that they want you to do this, this, or that. And, and you know, how do I say this? Guys, let the Lord... Run your life. So bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, the Bible tells us. And be careful with those who want to tell you what to do and how to live and how to think and how to behave. And, 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 and you know, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and take every situation to the Lord in prayer. And, 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 and don't be, be on your guard with that. Be on your guard with that. And, and, uh, that, and we'll look at it Wednesday. That's what I'm talking about is that you walk circumspectly. Ephesians chapter 5, I think it's verse 15. You walk circumspectly. Why? Because the days are evil. Are the days today Poneros? Yeah, I think they are. And, and there's this... this this call to be one of them, where the Lord says to us, come out from among them. So he's making, John is making distinctions here. Uh, and and then, then he goes on to say in verse 13, don't marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Now, the Greek in that would refer to a command. You could translate that maybe 
Yeah, you could translate that, maybe a loose translation, but you could translate that, stop marveling. Stop being amazed. Stop being astonished. Because the world hates you. Now, I'm not trying to to develop in you an anti-world kick. I'm just trying to teach the passage, okay? But Cain, and in fact, we have a little bit of time. It's worth a look. Genesis 4. Verse 3. So you already know about Cain and Abel, all right? And it says in verse 3, In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Okay. Abel brings a proper offering to the Lord. The Lord respects it. The Lord receives it. Cain brings an offering to the Lord that was not respected nor was it received. Now was there a difference between one was a lamb or an animal and one was fruit? I don't don't think that's necessarily the case. I think... think that, that God was looking upon the heart. And, and, and we can see this by, I, th- I think we get a clue into Cain's heart by his reaction. Uh, it, it says in verse 5 again, God did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. What did his countenance shift to? It doesn't say, so we can only speculate. It could have been a shift from a look of pride, God will accept me, to a look of bitter disappointment and anger. And because the Bible does tell us here that, that Cain was angry. Um, he was very angry. Why was he angry? A lot to consider there, isn't it? Why was Cain angry? Because God did not respect his offering, God did not receive his offering. That could be part of it. I'm sure it was part of it. Which tells me who was God in Cain's life. I think Cain was God in Cain's life. And I think he was also angry, that, ang- that jealous anger. Why? Because Abel's offering was accepted. So he does what every full-blown pagan heathen does, right? But first, God tries to reason with him. Verse 6, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? God's trying to reason with him. And then he continues, God continues here. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door 
and its desire is for you. That's the, that is a definition of poneros right there. Sin's desire is for you to mold you and to shape you into their image. Sin's desire is for you, but you should rule over it. You know what I find interesting among other things in this particular little passage? There is not recorded what God, Cain said to God. Maybe he didn't say anything to God. No doubt he did not repent. God's trying to reason with him. God's trying to give him a way out. God's trying to offer him a second chance. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Obviously, that tells me his offering was not accepted because he did not do well. He did not walk in righteousness. That's what this is saying. And so, of course, you know the story. Verse 8, Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field. So, it, so it's interesting about this that after verse 7 where God says to him, sin lies at the door and your desire is for you, but you must rule over it. It says that Cain talked not with God, but he talked with Abel. Think that one through a little bit. He talked with Abel's, Abel, his brother, and it came to pass. In other words, he talked with his brother, and then later on, that's what it's saying here, that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up and he, and against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. And, of course, then you had the exchange between God and Cain, where God asked him, where is Abel, your brother? And he, uh, Abel says to him, or excuse me, Cain says to God, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Some of you are smiling. That, that is like, that he's, he's touching the edge of blasphemy in his sarcasm. And his, I should say flippancy. He was jealous. He was angry. He did not do well. He did not walk in righteousness. And so the fruit of his evil was that he became a murderer. I, I, there's so much more I could say in this story, but what we do need to move on. Um, but he's the example that we get. Because John tells us in verse 12, his works were evil and his brother's righteous. So there's, there's a great commentary on Genesis 4 that we have here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. So don't marvel that the world hates you. So, and, and this, the, gosh, this, I've already talked about this, but this is the sticking point. Don't marvel, stop marveling that the world hates you. This is the world that hates you that God has called us to love. Is that fair? No. It's not fair. But what's fair about life? Matter of fact, those are the three, those are like the three words that I hate to hear the most. It's not fair. I usually respond with no kidding. But God calls us into a path of difficult discipleship at times. And that is why he told us in the book of Luke chapter 9, if any man would follow me, let him take up his cross daily, deny himself, and follow me. 
The calling of discipleship, the invitation of discipleship is sometimes a calling straight into the fire of hell itself, I believe. Of the difficulties that we will encounter. But Paul told the Corinthians that we are never tempted above that which we are able, right? And with every temptation, he provides a means to escape. Don't marvel because they hate you. Now think about that. They want your vote. But they don't really want to hear your opinion. They'll placate you. Now, really, in my opinion, which is, has been done by both political parties from the entire time that I've been alive. But I don't want to get started on that. Don't marvel. Because unless we hear the voice of the Poneros who says, come and do this with me, then we won't be accepted by them. Why? Because men love darkness. John chapter 3 again. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. We've been called to be set apart from that. We've been called to love them with the love of Jesus Christ who died and gave himself for us. And again, he demonstrates his love toward all of us, those of us who are saved and those of us who are not yet saved or maybe even those who will never be saved. He demonstrates his love toward us that while we were yet sinners that Christ dies for us. And then we have this, this call are you guys getting tired of seeing the word abide? Hopefully you're not. It says in verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren, and he who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, going back to what we read just a second ago in verse 12, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So he flips around this idea of abide. This concept of abiding, this idea of remaining, we've talked about it a few times already. This concept of being steadfast and committed to standing and living in the truths of God. Uh, it, it's, it's really all over the scripture. We have, we have God abides in Christ. We see that in John, I'll just give you a few examples. John abides in Christ in John 14, uh, 10. Uh, we have believers who abide in Christ. John 6:56, John 15, four, uh, John 15, uh, four through seven. I won't give you all the references. I'm running out of time. But, and then we have Christ who abides in us. Uh, the Bible tells us that also in John chapter 15, also in First John chapter three verse 24 that we will eventually get to. Christ abides in us. Uh, uh, God abides in us as well. And then we as believers, we abide in God. So there's this, this, this uh, reciprocal, mutual type of relationship whereby the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ, abides in us. We abide in him. Uh, and and it's, it's this idea that it, it really describes this, this, this state 
that is a fixed state that we have done, we continue to do. It's the present tense verb again. And it's something that, that in a sense, that we have been sealed together, he abiding in us, we abiding in him. And, and um, so when this is used in the context of eternal life, as we have in verse 15, it's talking about something that we possess because it is something that is within us. Does that make sense? We have eternal life. We possess it, but it is something that is in us because Christ is in us. Now, verse 15 again, where it says, uh, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John chapter 1, verse 4 says that in him was life and the light. So John chapter 1, verse 4 identifies the word. The word is whom? The word is whom? Jesus, right? Jesus is also the eternal life because we have him abiding in us. We also receive that which he has given us. Does that make sense? So it's more than receiving that real special gift that you wanted on your birthday. Because it it is this relationship that we have where Jesus with Jesus where he abides in us and essentially makes us his home. And at the same time brings us into himself. You guys get this? There's a lot of security in that. And I and I, I dare I suggest to you that that is a, a, a um Do you see the intimacy in that? Do you see the intimacy in that? That the God of the universe remains, is committed to you. The God of the universe has brought you into himself whereby we remain. And by our sense of submitting our lives to him, but also our sense of of being obedient to that which he has said. We walk in righteousness, therefore the fruit of that righteousness is love because we are the children of God. And back in verse 14, it says, we know that we have passed from death to life. That particular verb where it says we have passed, it, it's in the, it is in the what's called the perfect tense. All right, perfect tense of the verb. Perfect tense means uh, it's speaking of something that happened in the past, but it also has permanent results. So when you pass from death unto life, That happened when you were saved. The results of that transformation is permanent. That's how the verb is being used here in this particular sentence. And so the God who abides in us and who has brought us in to abide in him. Has passed us permanently 
in the past when we received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he has, he has passed us, he has converted us, transforming us from death to life, and that is a permanent action that we can bank on, that we can count in, even when those times when you don't walk in righteousness. Because as I, I, as I, didn't, I didn't mention here, um, again, some of the verb usage where it talks about abiding, where it talks about uh, um, walking in righteousness, it, it talks about this idea of this concept that this is your habitual uh, continued lifestyle. This is the lifestyle that you are committed to. If you walk in righteousness, it, it becomes almost habitual in a good way. Are you going to make mistakes? Well, a few of you are because you nodded your head. The rest of you are not quite sure yet. Or, uh, okay, you don't have to nod your head. I'm kidding. But uh, of course you are. Are you going to be perfect? Of course you're not. But do you have a steadfast commitment to pressing toward, Paul says this to the Philippians chapter 3, pressing toward the upward prize of the calling in Christ Jesus? Is that your focus? And therefore, do you attempt to live out uh, the realization of that commitment, of that focus? Do you attempt to live that out daily? Because right now is all you're guaranteed, right? I mean, that's the reality of it. We don't know that we're going to see the sun set tonight. But I have right now. You have right now. So as Paul told the Ephesians, as much as it depends on you, I think it's chapter 4. As Paul told the Ephesians, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, I would also use that same concept. As much as it depends upon you, walk in righteousness have the sense of commitment that you are going to be a righteous person, an obedient person to the commands of God. Again, also knowing, and, and, you know, Satan loves to beat you guys up. You know that, don't you? Because you don't walk in righteousness all the time perfectly, do you? But if we confess our sins... 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all what? Unrighteousness. Exactly. The opposite of righteousness. So we make mistakes. And yet we have the advocacy with the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the question is, and I'll be done, what is informing your life? What is informing your life? And and what are the things that follow you in your life as you claim to be a follower of Jesus? What marks your life? And, and so I think that's what we can glean from, from these particular pas- this particular passage 
is no, the murderer does not have eternal life abiding in him, but because we walk in righteousness, we have eternal life abiding in us. But not because of what we do. This is always important to underscore. It is not, we don't walk in, we don't abide in eternal life because of what we do. We walk in eternal life because of what he has done and what he did on the cross. We demonstrate that he has saved us by what we do. Does that make sense? God, you don't save yourself. You know this, right? You know that. You don't save yourself, all right? God help us all, really. I'd be praying for a purgatory so I could at least go try to work this off for a million years or so, right? We walk in righteousness because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, but we demonstrate that Jesus Christ has, in fact, saved us by our attempt to walk in righteousness. And in doing so, I'll take you back to the Sermon on the Mount again. I've already referred to the verse once. You let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would empower us not only to continue to walk in righteousness, but to grow in righteousness. And that that living a righteous life would produce the love of Christ. As your word says, that is shed abroad in our hearts and overflowing our hearts. Lord, help us to love the world as you love the world. Help us to pray for them as we know that your heart must break in seeing so many things today. Help us to be people who intercede, who stand in the gap. Help us to be those who seek the peace of the city, who seek the peace of the county, the state, the nation, who seek the shalom of the world for your great name's sake, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you guys.